Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner. Hey, why are you talking? Okay, when I say we're going live, that means shut up. Let me introduce. I, I don't know. I don't know these things. I've only been doing it eight years, man. Four hundred and twenty-five <laughs> episodes later. Uh, One day I'll get it right. <laughs> I still don't understand why we were number two on the church planning podcast that people should listen to. We should have been number one. And I love that about you because, you know, a lot of people be like, no, it was cool. You know, I, I was in the Olympics, you know, I, I got a silver, you know, I placed, I, I stood on the platform. Pete's like, I needed a, I should have had that gold. I'm the first <laughs> loser. That's what I would take the silver as. I'm the first yeah. loser. Yeah, baby. I knew this guy and uh, he, the company would like rank all of the, the salesmen from like one to a hundred. Cause there was a, like a hundred main ones. And at number 50, he would call that guy. He's the best of the worst, the worst of the best. He's the cream of the crap. <laughs> That's, That's literally rad. how he would address him. <laughs> You're the cream of the crap. Dude, that is so cool. I know. Right. Why can't we do that at church planner conferences? Why Pick can't like we do this. that in business anymore? Why can't we tell people you're a crappy employee? Shape up. Shape yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. No, you can't do that. No. I wonder how you would do that in church planning. How would you? Because it can't be my numbers. That's just wrong. You have no soul if you do that. <laughs> it's my numbers. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You can't do that. That goes Wait, against everything got... I've ever taught. But how could we shame a church planner in a legit way? I think oh, the preaching really, of the gospel. It should be about baptisms. <laughs> Yeah, but all of them lie about that. Dude, okay, I, I got to tell you this. This is so, so bad. 
I almost this might have to get cut from the podcast. That's how bad it's this live is. on Facebook. You dragging me down with you, Mitch. No one's watching on Facebook. I can see the little numbers. No one's on it right now. So, so you know, the away. one guy watching you just hurt his feelings. Deeply. Oh, yeah. He's going to no. cancel you. One guy just popped up. Oh, man. Never mind. I can't. Okay. No, I got to tell you. It's funny. It's really funny. So are you sure this is a conversation that ought to take place on Facebook Live? It's not. Oh, it's really funny. I mean, it's not. Okay. So my buddy, I, I think it's okay. I think it's okay. My okay, buddy, just for the record, I have no idea what's about to fly out of his mouth. My buddy is very, very liberal and he's one of my oldest friends. And so we, we always like, he'll come over in the mornings a lot of times and we'll work out together. Yeah. And so we get on all kinds of subjects. And so, um, so we got on the, the subject of abortion. I'm like, dude, where do you stand on abortion? Right. And so he was going into it and giving me his whole view. <laughs> and he gets to the end. Right. Cause like we met at Biola together. Right. So, I mean, he's like not following the typical Christian path by any means. I don't even think he would consider himself a Christian anymore. And, um, so, you know, after he, cause he, he, he basically says, you know, it's a tough call. He couldn't do it, but he doesn't have a problem if someone does do it in the very earliest of stages, blah, blah, blah. Right. And like, he's, he's like, really like, he knows this is a sensitive subject. And then, you know, we're working out and he goes, are, are you going to kick me out of your house now? And I go, I'm not the one going to hell. <laughs> Did he get the reference? He, I explained it to him and he, well, it didn't matter. He was laughing his butt off when I said it. Cause it's like the most unchristian thing you could say to someone. Right, it's right. just, Hey, you know, that, that's your opinion. That's all right. Cause you're, it was so funny. I'm sorry, guys. I know that's not something that we should be laughing about, but it, it was really funny. To me. <clears throat> well, it, it, humor can ease tension. And, and by the way, that's from Seinfeld. For those of you who, is. who, who didn't follow that reference, putty, is dating Elaine and he's got a fish on the back of his car. And Elaine's like, don't you have a problem? I'm not a Christian. And he just goes, I'm not the one going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> I know we shouldn't be laughing about that, but it, it was, it's very funny. Cause it's so it anti-Christian. No, it is very funny. That is a funny episode. So no, I, I didn't think that was bad. Gosh, Mitchell, you're, I wasn't you're, you're sure. Detained, Cause you know, we're laughing about your old age. We're laughing you know, about going to hell. I mean, I did see a video this week where someone was dubbing over Jesus and the 12. And I got to be honest, it did rub me the wrong way. Mm. And I think because, you know, you and I have talked about this with worship. So uh, for me, like uh, one of the things I've been trying to do since new year is really incorporate worship in my daily life. So like when nobody else is around, you know, it's important to me at least once a day to worship, you know, it, it's just kind of how it is. So, um, and it's because I need that. It's because I'm, I'm weak in that department. And so I was listening to um, through the word, we're doing another podcast and won't be out till June, but we're doing it on speed. Like we're doing 20 episodes a week, right? I so can barely on, get you to show up for one. That's like, I know, right? It's amazing. Well, these are 10 minute. We say 10 minute, but you know, eh, preacher, you know. How do you do a 10 minute podcast? With <laughs> We do it in 18 minutes. <laughs> 
It's kind of like Jamie and I were out to dinner last Saturday night and they got this great brownie with ice cream on it and like all this chocolate caramel stuff. So the lady's like, well, we've got two sizes, the personal size and the larger size. Which size would you like? And I go, well, I can't possibly eat the personal size. So you're bringing the large. (laughs) That's rad. So, uh, so anyways, we, um, we aim for 10, but anyways, I have to listen to through the word on like on steroids, man. Like, and I, I can't, I know like sometimes some of the guys on the team, they'll listen to it like on one and a half or two times speed on the podcast. Cause there is a podcast that has the audio guides, but I need to hear it because we're analyzing teaching. So I need to hear the tone. I need to hear the pace. I need to hear the delivery. So I got Genesis this next week. So I got 50 chapters on Genesis. But last last week, the assignment was to do the Bible overview. And I got I to gotta hand it to Langham. For those of you who don't know, Chris Langham developed an app. He's a guy I handed Refuge Long Beach over to. I've known him for, gosh, man, like 20-something years. And uh, he is just such a gifted teacher and you know, he, um, he's mastered this art of like 10 minute chapter summaries and, but the, his choice of chapters for what he would include, I think there's like 20 something of them for a Bible overview for people just discovering the Bible is so unique. Like he's got the part where like, you know, the Benjamites hide in the bushes and steal everybody's wives. And he puts that in there on the Bible overview. And he goes, why did I put this in there? Because there's some weird stuff in the Bible. And you got to know that up front. So there was so many cool choices he put. Like he didn't do Genesis 1. He didn't do Genesis 3. He did Genesis 2. And I was really kind of puzzled by his, his choice of chapters. Well, then on the podcast, we take it apart. How would you teach a Bible overview? You know, if he does Genesis, it's how do you teach you the book of Genesis? Well, by the end of that Bible overview, dude, like he gets... He is the second to last chapter he does <clears throat> is Revelation five. And of course, that's the throne room of heaven. And that's where they're doing like um, the lamb, you know, the ancient of days is on the throne. And then the in heaven, it's mournful, <clears throat> which you never think about it being mournful in heaven. Um, they're, they're singing, but they're mournful because no one's worthy to take the scroll. And that just so hit me like he was teaching through it. And then the song, it says, and then they sung a new song. And this new song is filled with joy and pride and admiration because Jesus appears as the one, the lamb who was slain. And I don't know, man, like I had to stop and I was just weeping. And I was singing that one um, Revelation song, um, heaven's mercy seat. Um, uh, I, I, I don't remember all that, but it's called Revelation Song. It's probably one of my favorite modern hymns because it's just straight out of Revelation. And I always think to myself, why are you writing all this trite crap? You know, like there's some meaty stuff like in the, like you got this whole book. You is 150 chapters of, of, of hymns for you to choose from. Let's do it. You know? And, uh, and I, I just don't like a lot of the modern worship music we talk. But anyways, it was so powerful to me. And this, this practice of kind of entering into worship, in my own life, just, just personally, just even one song a day is changing me. I don't know how to put it. Well, it's not that I'm a fuddy dude, but I saw this video where people took this film of Jesus and put all, they put all these like voices over it going, you know, uh, first off, they made Jesus sound like a wimp, which bothered me. 
Second off, they're like, I saw what you did behind the tree. And he's telling off all the disciples for stuff he saw them do. And then at the end, he stands up and proclaims, there's no hope. You're all doomed. You're all sinners. And I, I came away just going, wow, what a contrast. That's how the church today, because it was a church that made the video. Oh, my gosh. And 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 I was like, holy crap. Like, the contrast was so just in my face of like, we treat Jesus this way. But in heaven, they can't keep themselves back from weeping in heaven that there's no one worthy to open the scroll. And then falling down nonstop praising, admiring, like they can't help. They're falling all over themselves, worshiping him. And I, it, it just, I don't know, man, like it just really hit me. So I've, I've been kind of praying through that, like working through it, like, Lord, how do we get that sense of awe in your presence and that Christ centeredness back as a, as a church? Because, you know, heaven knows we haven't had that. We, we had an, uh, you know, church has its idols galore. I mean, election year will show you that real fast, you know, but I mean, wow. Just hit me. Just hit me, man. That's all. I know it's not really good smack talk. No, no, but it, it reminds me of, uh, this isn't really good smack talk either, but I had a, a good friend of mine who, um, she was an agent of mine when I was in the, had my insurance business and I office with her and another guy for, I don't know, a year or two, maybe longer, who knows. And um, she's a Jehovah's witness and her, you know, neighborhood that she works, right. That she goes around door knocks and all that is my neighborhood. Mm. So a year or two ago, maybe longer. I don't even remember how long ago it was, you know, she's there out training her, whatever they call the secondary person. And she comes and knocks on my door. And I'm like, Hey, come in. Right. You know, cause I got two theories behind that. Number one, my neighbors may not be able to handle the Jehovah's witness cause they don't really know much about the Jehovah's witness. And right. the longer I can keep you talking to me, the less time you have to go talk to anyone else. <laughs> so that's kind of my, my philosophy on that. That's that's how we were taught, right? That that used to be the 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 thing. Waste as much of their time as possible. Well, I don't see it as wasting. I just don't want them to go talk to anyone else. And so, um, so it's not. I don't even remember what we got into on that talk, but because I, I remember at one point I was like, "Well, the problem is, you know, I can't really debate you with your Bible because they've kind of changed things in your Bible." Right. And I know that that you don't believe that, but I mean, it's kind of a well-documented thing. And, you know, mm -hmm. so there's only so much discussion we can, but we have that kind of relationship, right? Where I could say that. And it wasn't like we were strangers. Like I wouldn't say that to a stranger Jehovah's witness who stopped off at my door. Like I would try and take the verses that, as I always say, they forgot to change. Right. And make them read it in their own Bible and go, see, this is what I'm saying. Jesus is God, not some created being. And so she, she texts me out of the blue Saturday. Hey, you know what? My church is doing uh, this thing in Revelation. And I remember you were talking to me about this section of Revelation. And here's the Zoom password. Love for you to join. So I didn't get back to her until Monday. And, and basically, I just started going into it. I go, well, you know, here was the passage I was talking about in Revelation. It was Revelation 1910. And uh, for all of my gun friends, I always remember 1910 because it was this close to being a 1911. That close. <laughs> 
<clears throat> and it's it's the scene where John like <clears throat> bows down and starts worshiping the angel, and the angel's like, "Oh, hey, yo, whoa, don't 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 worship right. me. I'm not worthy of worship. Only God's worthy of worship. That's that, that's not me." And so I was pointing out, I go, this is what, you know, an angel would do. This is what a created being would do. And I go, now let's look at John 20, 28. And that's where that's Thomas, a master stroke where you're taking it right there. That is the master stroke. Well, and then I go, you know, John 20, 28, that's where Thomas, doubting Thomas, right? Didn't believe until he saw. And then all of a sudden he sees Jesus, puts his hands in his, in the, the wounds. And he's like, my Lord and my God. And I go, now, what does Jesus do? Does Jesus go, no, 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 don't, don't call me God. Don't give me worship. He basically accepts it. And he goes, by the way, that's great. Cause you could see me, but everybody who doesn't see me and they believe that's even better. Yeah. He right? says, blessed are you. He right. actually praises them for it. Yeah. So, I mean, and that started the conversation and then, you know, she goes, Oh, those, and then I, you know, and I said, by the way, since, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses won't accept any of my material or come to my church, then I'm not going to go to your church. I'm like, we got to have a fair ground mm. if we're going to do this. If you want to dialogue, I'm happy to dialogue about it. And um, and then she goes, uh, uh, so she gets back to me and she's like, wow, those are some really good points. And of course, then she starts to hit on the Trinity because they got, you know, huge problems with the Trinity, with the whole right. concept of the Trinity. Have you done much study on the Trinity? And I'm like, hot dog, here we go. <laughs> And literally, and this is all being done via text. The text was so long, it wouldn't get sent to her. So I had to break it up <laughs> into all these wow. sections so I could send it over to her. And then she was like, oh, wow, that's great. You know, uh, uh, we'll, we'll continue this discussion next week. I'm like, great, let's do it. <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk about it. They never turned up. What? They never turned up? Or is this, is this like last week? No, this is just the other day. This is oh, Monday and yesterday. So she's like, oh, we got to get, you know, the most holy holiday for us is the memorial of Jesus. So, you know, I'll talk to you next week after that. I'm like, cool. Let's talk. Wow. That's great. Man. We'll see where it goes, well man. Well done, you. Well done, Pete. And I'm, all the time I was sitting there thinking in the back of my head, she doesn't realize I got access to people like Peyton, all the apologetics.com <laughs> guys. I'm like, all right, let's go. <laughs> hey, Walter Martin's daughter, right? Yeah, right. I mean, come on. Bite her over. Oh, man. That'd be fun. <laughs> so, hey, um, what was I going to say? Patrick Allen says, last time I spoke with the JW, they threw their Bible at my head. <laughs> Whoa. Okay, now that that's, that's the conversation right there. I want to hear the conversation that caused that one to happen. I mean, Heck yeah, man. Yeah, we 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 need to we need to hear that. I've never had a Bible thrown at my head. I know, right? I kind of feel like I haven't done it right yet. I have been beaten down in the street, but I've never had a Bible thrown at my head. Yeah. So it's first time for everything. Yeah. You know, and it's like when you say I've never broken a bone, probably that'll happen to me later today. You've never broken a bone? Well, I said that the day before I broke a bone. Of course, I was playing chicken out of a moving car. I won when I jumped out, but I did break my wrist. I was 17, young and foolish. I had hair then. It was long and flowed down to my butt crack. And it wasn't white. It was not. Gosh. I know I can shampoo stuff in now. And I saw it on a commercial. When I go to hotels and I go traveling, I just got back from Catalina. I see commercials. I'm like, I see this guy shampooing his hair. I'm like, I can shampoo my beard in the shower. Well, it's funny. I'll do these webinars. full black. I'll be like, hey, Pete. 
I'll do these webinars where, you know, your face is really small up in the corner on zoom. And this little soul patch is so white. They're like, is there something wrong with my monitor? There's like this white thing on your face. <laughs> I got to like stop and explain to everyone. I'm 45, man. I got white facial hair. What do you want me to do? Uh, this thing growing on my face. It's, it's hair ish, dude. That's that's hilarious. It's hairish. That's hilarious. It's weird, man. Like when we started doing this podcast, this is all black. Yeah, like I look back at some of our early pictures. There's a there's a. Photo it looks like I use that shampoo back then, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, hair hair color for men or whatever it was. You could tell it was it was it was naturally dark. Like there's this picture that comes up on my TV because we got a screensaver. And it's uh, from the baptism at the beach in Long Beach. <laughs> it's oh, yeah. totally black for you, man. Oh, yeah. It's totally black. Yeah. You know, when I first published my uh, first book, they're like, hey, we want to put your your picture on the cover of the book. Because I guess I was young looking and kind of radical looking back then. And I said, no, they don't ask anymore. <laughs> now they say no. So they're like, yeah, old guy. Right. By the way, yeah, I think whatever. it's hilarious that you told your your publisher uh yeah, uh Pete Mitchell, he's an influencer. Uh I want him to I know, right? Get a you copy are, of the Hey, everybody <laughs> wants to get on our podcast. So hey, next week I gotta announce this because uh Pete doesn't do authors, he informs me now, but I am I, I should read I should say I don't do authors with Peyton. <laughs> I got you an audiobook. You did. I was so proud of myself. I'm like, oh hey, you saw the email. I'm like my uh, podcasting partner, he he likes to listen to the book. Could you please send an audible? And they're like, don't share this with anybody. <clears throat> it was like a big like cloak and dagger thing. Like, we'll give it to you, but just you. Here's the audio files. So I have it on iTunes now, That's which funny. is rad. I can listen to R.C. Sproul's biography. If you didn't know this, Crossway is coming out with a biography of R.C. Sproul. By the way, am- that was part of the reason I was like, yeah, this would not be a fun interview for me at all. RC Sproul. I'm already geeking out on it early. Right? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing that podcast. Nope, I'm out. Oh, man. I can't wait. I shook his hand once, Pete. He Did you watch deep it? He eyes and he said, and I, I kid you not, this actually happened. This happened on two occasions. He met Andrew and I. He looks at us and he goes, do I know you? Where do I know you from? And And... I died a little inside. And uh, <laughs> so if I interviewed RC Sproul, there's a couple of times where Pete and I have interviewed people and I've been nervous. Um, Francis Chan was one the first time. Now, I will say second time, I was not nervous about Francis at all. We were like this. When did you do the second one? Did you do that one without Exponential. Me? Remember that time that they crammed like they tried to get like right after the main stage in Exponential like two, three years ago. Um, they put him in this room with me and Ralph Moore that we were supposed to, I was supposed to interview the two of them together, which it was an epic interview. Probably the best thing I've ever heard Francis Chan do because he talked about his failure, mm. which was just amazing. And then Ralph was like kind of chiming in on it. But um, my gosh, but they, they, they did it right after the main session and did not give us a, a big breakout room. 200 people fit in this thing. I couldn't even get in. So Ralph had to come out and get me. And he's like, move, everybody move. He's like yelling at everybody to part the hallway and I came in. But yeah, so I was nervous with him. Uh, the other person I got nervous with, it wasn't an interview because we've interviewed. I've been on Carrie Newhoff show and I've uh, I've inter- we've interviewed him a couple times. 
I was never nervous, but when I met him in person, he was so freaking tall. I got nervous. Mm. It was his height. Were you Oklahoma, done? Oklahoma, I'm calling it now, Pete. Were you having small man syndrome or what? <laughs> yes. I was like, uh, that we were standing at Exponential at the Starbucks there, and we were just chatting. He's super cool. I mean, he's a really nice dude. But I just got really conscious of how little I was. I felt like a child, and uh, it affected me a bit. That's funny. So I really like Carrie at a distance. But in person, I'm a little intimidated. So if we ever interview him again, it has to be like this. Can never be live. Um, what else? Uh, but I was gonna say, I, if I interviewed RC Sproul, I dude, I would be so nervous. I don't. I, I just because that dude shaped me. I remember working on the factory line in Port Talbot, Wales, as a missionary there, and I joined Tape of the Month Club like ten years before that, and then. Uh, decided since I was working in this factory, everybody had their Walkmans and Discmans. Like, that's how long ago this was. 1999. So, I'm working. Or, no, it's 2001. It was 9-11 it hit. So, 2011 or 2000. Gosh, dang it. Yeah, 2001. I'm old, dude. I'm old. I'm almost 50. So, 2001. And I literally listened to like 10 years worth, like 200 and something episodes of rc sprawl wow on my tape of the month just all this black backlog that i had and uh just used to enjoy him so much learn so much so he is one of my heroes i think he was for our um generation perhaps the great he was our c.s lewis he was mm. the greatest christian thinker of our generation but sadly he was only owned by the reform people you know um but he amazing brain amazing mind so, anyways, so I would I would have been nervous to interview him. I think. Well, we got to get into our topic because I got to leave early today. Ooh, so yeah, uh, we got a good one too. Greet Scott. It's time for this week's topic. No, 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 no. Greet Scott. It's time there. for this week's topic. Let's get down to the nitty gritty. There you go. Ah, uh, yes, yeah, I'm talking about. All right. So today we are talking about how much should a church planner or minister make? And Which, I'm by the way, about the Rob Goodell. Stuff. Rob Goodell commented. On the uh, the Facebook post, how much did the apostle make, or the prophet, or the evangelist, or the teacher? Why does the shepherd get all the money? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Why does he get all the money and all the women? Oh, oh, don't <laughs> Oklahoma, go there. Oklahoma, I'm just teasing, Oklahoma. So you know, it, I, I, I will say, um, you you do sometimes see. Uh, this is bad, but you do sometimes see ministers with like, you know, trophy wives. And I always wonder, would she have been with him if he weren't in a position of power? Now, in fairness, I met Andrew at 17 in high school English class. I was a nobody, a short haired or a long haired little short man. <laughs> I did that to myself. Just Are, are you saying, are you I saying did. she's a trophy wife? I, I am kind of saying that. There yeah. you go. But, uh, but you know, she is to me anyways. 30 years ago this year is when I started hanging out with her. And uh, 30 years I still ago. think one of the best stories of the two of you is like you were each on a date with someone else. And like you pull out your wallet and a picture of her falls on the ground. And everyone's just kind of staring at it. And you're like, uh. So in those 30 years. I dated her for five and I've been married to her for 24. You do the math. That's 29 years. And one year she was with this bonehead. Uh, 
<laughs> this one guy. And during that years, I kind of let her slip around, slip away. I was just starting to, to see her. Um, she, she and I bumped into it. She was with her boyfriend. I was with my girlfriend and I had to show her my ID picture for college because I paid the guy five bucks so that I could do like this in my ID picture. And I was going like this and I had my hair in a Dr. Seuss top knot, uh, back when Dr. Seuss was cool. And, um, and so I had this big fountain of hair and I looked, totally looked like the Dr. Seuss character. And so I said, Oh, I got to show you my student ID. I paid this guy like 10 bucks for this or five bucks or whatever. And as I said, go to get it, the little plastic insert in my wallet flops open. And there's a picture of me and Andrea at this boat dance that I kind of tricked her into going to with me as a friend and uh, our senior year. And it, like time froze, time stopped and everybody looked at it. And I, I remember I'm thinking, Oh, and cause my girlfriend is looking down going, What's a picture of Andrew doing in Peyton's wallet? Andrew's thinking, what's a picture of me doing in Peyton's wallet? And her boyfriend's thinking, what's a picture of Peyton doing or Andrew doing in Peyton's wallet? And it, it was not a good moment at the time, although now it's a really good moment. I, I relish that moment. It's, it was one of the best moments. So see church planners. So the lesson for today is what may seem like a really bad moment for you right now could be a really good moment later on, like this podcast. There you go. Maybe you'll return to it. All right. So back to our topic. So uh, thank you, Rob Goodell, for that um, distraction, which we uh, are easily distracted by uh, bright, shiny objects. So don't wave them in front of us anymore. But I will say this, um, you know, it came up the, the guy from uh, Preachers and Sneakers. He uh, outed himself publicly and said, this is who I am. This is the real me. I followed him on Twitter. He had 64 followers. I think I was number 65. So that was kind of fun. Um, just to say, you know, your actual preachers and sinkers has like thousands of followers. Maybe, I don't know. Is it like millions? I don't know what it, I think it was like up there a bit, but, uh, but the actual dude had like 60 something followers. So I uh, said, my friend put me up to it and it seemed like a good idea. And I just started posting pictures of preachers with like $10,000 shoes on. And if you don't know about that, that sparked a controversy about how much money should preachers and uh, pastors and church planners make. So, Pete, how much? <laughs> <laughs> I, mm, yeah, I got a different opinion on money than than most people. I'm so not I a pastor. Me, dig about you, man, like Rod Tidwell said. I'm not a pastor, man. So, I, I don't have a problem with making money. Uh, I have a problem with not making money. <laughs> That's the problem that I have is when I'm not making money or people aren't making money. So back, back when we, when we used to have sound effects back when we were a real podcast and remember we used to have that. Uh, I, I like money, sir. I keep some in a jar at my home on top of my refrigerator. I'd like to put more money in that jar. That's where you come in, sir. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I, I mean, the worker is worthy of his wages for show, but, um, at the same time too, I, I, part of the reason why I'm such a big fan of bivocational pastors and, uh, even, you know, I, I was talking about this on our mastermind group that we've got, um, I, I was going over some ideas of what I could do with bivocational pastors. And one of my guys goes, well, why don't you start talking to them about what their church can do? to create business, not just the the pastor, but you know, all the assets of the church there, there's untapped 
assets basically that could be utilized. I was like, man, that's a great point. And he went back and reminded me of Michael Cheshire's book, uh, how to knock over a seven 11 and other ministry training, I think is what it's called. Mm -hmm. And think about all the businesses that they went into as they were church planning from uh, cleaning out homes, right. uh, During the foreclosure crisis of 2008, 2009, 2010 um, to uh, running a U-Haul like, whatever they call it, a franchise, all the people who were leaving and moving in and all that type of stuff. I mean, like they were getting involved in their community using all kinds of different business strategies to connect with people in the community. And so, I mean, I have a totally different view on money than most, most people do. Um, like even when I see the memes that are making fun of Joel Olstein, which obviously I'm not a Joel Olstein fan, right? But they're like, oh, look at the house he lives in. Uh, look at uh, look at the the church that he's got, and all of this is tax free. And I'm like, well, first of all, it's not tax free to him, and secondly, most no, of that's from his books. Taxes. Yeah, and he most of that's from his employment tax. Well, big time, right? Yeah. And you got tax on your royalties because most of it's from his books, <clears throat> and it's like. But forget about that. I'm like, but he does, he's not getting that. The bulk of his income is not coming from his church. Now, it is in the sense that that gave him a position, which gave him the notoriety, which allowed him to sell, you know, millions of copies of his books. But it's not like the salary of the church is what gave him that home. It was mm. his books and stuff. And I don't have any problem with that. Like, I got other problems with Joel Steen that has nothing to do with that. Yeah, yeah. So... I don't know. Well, and that that brings up, you know, uh, Rick Warren, who, you know, when his purpose-driven church took off. Purpose-driven um, life. It wasn't the purpose-driven church. Oh, wasn't? I thought it was purpose. Okay, you're right. It was purpose-driven life. He literally started reverse tithing. And he tied 90%, kept 10%, and then also paid back 23 years of his salary to Saddleback and said, no longer pay me. I'm making enough off my right. my my book contracts. I remember uh, hearing people badmouth him, and I made a vow, and you and I have talked about this, that from then on, I remember being at a pastor's conference. I was at a table, and I stopped this conversation. I said, hey, I no longer allow anyone to badmouth that man in my presence, and here's why. And I just shared that. And I said, now, until you give 90% of your money and income to God or ministry, um, or mission or whatever. Um, I don't want to hear you do that in my presence again. You got to earn that. And it shut that conversation up dead. These were pastors that were older than me. They were, but it was a, you know, you shouldn't really be bad mouthing him. You know, who are you to judge another man's servant? So when it comes to this, I think, you know, do, is it a bad look? Like, does it rub me the wrong way? I'm kind of with Rob Goodell where it's like, hey, you know, I was a missionary all those years. Now, I inherited money when my dad passed away. Um, and I I practically, as you know, inherited a beach shack in, you know, in San Diego County, <laughs> right by the beach. Double plot. I mean, uh, property I could never afford, but it was always dedicated to mission. And when I came off the field, um, a couple that were like my second mom and dad, um, donated the land to me and said, you can have it for what you can afford. So we went to the bank, got the biggest loan we could, and we bought it. And it wasn't much. 
And in fact, they're like, well, could you stretch to this amount? (laughs) (laughs) And we did, you know, but it was like, you know, if, if it weren't for those couple breaks, um, I wouldn't live where I live. And I'm conscious of that because one of the things over the years is I, I have worked ever since I've been back. I have never had a full-time free ride from the church, except for maybe one year at um, Refuge Long Beach, the final year um, when Nam kicked in. But prior to that, no, man, like that was never a part of my thing. I always was bivocational so that, you know, like kind of like Paul says, I worked with my hands. I still work with my hands. I don't take a paycheck from a church. Um, I work uh, for a living. And I work a regular job and have done. I've worked for NAM. I've worked for Exponential. I've worked. There's always a job that I have so that I am free to plant when and where I can minister anywhere. Um, if I go to preach, like I'll go preach at a church coming up here. I don't take honorariums when I preach because I want to support that work. And I don't need your money. Um, I am in the fortunate place of being able to tell people I don't need anything from you. And, uh, and I can remember when I was planting a church, um, in, in Wales, my last church, um, I had invested the money that my dad left me into property when I was, I was dirt poor. I mean, I've told you stories about, (laughs) I was so poor. Um, I made over there the equivalent of, I think somewhere around 12, $1,300 a month. And the ministry here could pay me like $2,000 a month, my mission support group. So I was making so little money. I'd come back and we were so skinny. Um, and people would be like, man, you're on a rad diet. So I've been poor. I have lived that way. I have lived with nothing and um, for years and all for mission. I went to work in a factory, um, you know, brought myself up a bit. Worked as a firefighter, brought myself up a bit, worked as a barista, (laughs) got poor uh, as a barista. But, you know, I always was doing jobs, window cleaning, troubleshooting, clinical troubleshooting, um, which is an offshoot of my RN degree. Um, I've always done teaching in seminary. I taught Bible college for a number of years. Um, I've always done something um, to to make money. And and to a certain degree, like when I planted in Wales – I had a big house because I had been really wise with my money. I had a new, newly built big house that was considered the rich part of town. I bought it because I knew it would be a great investment. And that's what I've always done is I've invested in property and that I have to give props to my wife. But that was, again, there were times I, I was self-conscious, like, I hope nobody thinks I'm living here because of the money. And so people would always be shocked. I think I've mentioned this before that my first four years, um, my first three years planning that church, I took zero money from the church. My fourth year, I took peanuts from it. My fifth year, my elder finally approached me and said, Hey, you're adopting a baby. Um, We need to pay you full time now. And so for one year, but by then my church knew like that dude has never taken a penny from us. And it was out of love for me that, but, but is it a bad look when you're, um, when you're, you're wearing $10,000 sneakers and taking a full-time paycheck from the church? I, I would say yes. 
I think that's a bad look. Is it right or wrong? Like I say, I can't judge another man's servant, but I will argue to my grave. That is a bad look. And if you're doing that, it raises serious questions. Then what happens if it's not sneakers? (laughs) What happens if it's a car? Let's say you drive a Dodge Charger and it's a really nice Dodge Charger. And you really (laughs) like the Dodge Charger. You mean the, uh, what, what was it? What's the name of that one that you, it was like the highest model up. The, the like Hellcat? The, the demon or what? Oh, yeah, yeah, the demon. The demon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's where you're going with that? I'm just saying, I mean, you know, where's this line that we draw? I, I agree that the new breed, I, funny enough, the new breeders were chatting about this. One of the guys like, man, my I, I served with a, a youth pastor on staff. He bought an Audi, you know, way back in the 90s. And he paid, you know, 14 grand for it, which was a lot of money back then. Right, but it was yep. used and he got it for a good deal and yada, yada. And he got no end of shtick. And I would say to you that, you know, if, if you're this is I got to say this, like right now I work for through the word. And I have always, if I work for the church, I work hard. We were joking around, you know, Pete Mitchell, the hardest working man in church planning. One of the things I train church planners for is work ethic. Um, you, you, you could not, and I don't think I could, or I would struggle to keep up with the Apostle Paul. That dude worked harder than anyone. In fact, there is a verse where he says, I worked harder than anyone. Just let that sink in for a second. I worked harder than anyone. That's amazing that he can say, and I, I believe he was he was right. He worked with his hands. Um, he, with two rich people, Priscilla and Aquila, built a tent-making empire. So these guys would be self-funded wherever they went. Um, but I, I have been conscious over the years that whenever I slow down and I live off of support, and Paul did at times live off support, um, you can argue that pretty clearly. Best scholarship out there will tell you there were times, there were seasons where if it served the mission, like in Ephesus, he lived off support. If it served the mission for him to work with his hands, he did that. Hugh Halter gave a great um, rule of thumb, I would say, in his book, Bivo, which is awesome. Um, I'll be interviewing him next month. Uh on a webinar. By the way, um, this will have always already run its course, but um, for those of you watching Facebook Live um, Thursday, I'm interviewing Brian Sanders on Microchurch at 3 p.m. Pacific. So go to my Facebook wall and check it out and register. But anyways, all that to say, um, Hugh Halter said, if the only reason you should be set apart full-time a- apart from your nets is to reproduce yourself. And, and I, I find that to be a pretty consistent theme in the New Testament. Paul was, when he pulled back and was supported, he was reproducing himself. Jesus with the 12, reproducing himself. So I, I actually think that's quite biblical. But often the mission dictates that you are working with your hands and it serves the mission better. You're working with your hands. You got a job. You do whatever in the heck you want. But if you're living off people's donations, there's two things I'd say about that. Number one, you should not be poor. That's why Paul says, um, don't muzzle the ox way, treads the grain. Apparently that mindset, and I know you got thoughts on that with your dad, who is a Baptist minister, um, you know, who struggled at times. I mean, because people had this mindset that you keep that minister poor, Um, you keep them humble. Well, Paul tells him, hey, he's worthy of double honor. And scholars have often said they don't know whether that means 
double honor as in respect, or if it means double honor, like treat him well, right? Like treat, honor him doubly, you know, um, for what he's doing because of the importance of his work. I do think that ministers should not have to worry about their family. Like if you're going to, if a church is going to pay them, do it and do it well. Rule of thumb, second point, the rule of thumb, I think, is to keep the pastor's salary at a competitive level to the average person in the congregation. Um, not to underpay him, not to overpay him, but to pay him for what suits his context so that in that neighborhood, in that area, he's making comparable to what his congregation would make. Right. And I think that's part of the sacrifice you make on mission for those people that you're serving. Yeah. See, I would say like with my dad as a, as a minister, um, it was really at a time when Bivo wasn't like in vogue, like it is now, like you just, it didn't happen very often. It was like, if you're a minister, you're a minister and you go get a job at a church and that's what you do. And I remember the church at one point couldn't afford to pay him. And I remember hearing this. So this is as a kid. So my parents wouldn't really talk about money around us. And I remember hearing, you know, they hadn't paid him in like three months. And so he was like, okay, I got to go get a job. Like, you know, I got to put food on the table. I got to make things happen. And that was really when he became Bivo in a sense. And um, he ended up leaving that church, but he's always worked with churches or in ministry. Like after that, it was almost like freeing in a sense. It was like, like, I remember he, he worked as a part-time minister at this one church and there were three ministers, all three of them were part-time and all three of them had other day jobs. And that was how they could come together and take care of this one older church. Like, you know, all the people that went to it were much older and it was dying off. And he was like, great. I get to use my gifts. I get to be in ministry and I got to make my income elsewhere, which what he ended up doing was, uh, becoming a school teacher and specifically working at juvenile hall and severe behavioral disorder kids. Mm. And That's so cool. What a rad job. Your dad's awesome, dude. Yeah. He's a good dude. He, he actually has contributed towards, um, new breed. So I know that's been, uh, that's been something that, you know, obviously your dad's done some, some things right. I mean, I, I think those times of poverty and struggle too, they, they really, they teach you. Like, I remember my grandparents did pretty well financially, but I remember talking to them once saying, Hey, you know, I was asking them for some advice. And they told me back then, cause I was, I was paid peanuts when I first started. Cause I started a mega church and often big ministries like that, like the pastor gets paid really well and everybody else. It's kind of like, well, you should be lucky to be here, you know? Um, so you'll work at a, at a much lesser rate. And that was kind of the tradition of the churches I came from. Um, so I made nothing. And I remember them telling me, they're like, Hey, when, when you make, they go, babe, the struggles, I know it's hard. Um, and they were always there. They're always like, if you need money and I never asked for it, but they'd always say, if you ever can't pay your bills or girl, you come see us, you know, but, uh, but I, I'll tell you what, man, like they said, those struggles are what is going to, going to help you the most. And, uh, and that was true. So one, one other thing is that, um, I was going to say that, um, 
What was I going to say, Pete? I, I don't I know. Say? You don't know? I, 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 whatever it was, it wasn't going to be good. I surely don't know. No, it was really good. I just got distracted thinking about my grandparents, but that, that was a valuable advice. Um, it really does help you think about it. But I wanted to, to really say that, um, as far as, uh, you know, like for, I was going to say this about new breed. Now, now I brought up with your dad with new breed. Um, that's a church planning network, um, that I've run for years. And it was really to help planners learn to plant at no cost or free, because that's how I always did it. I, I never, and it's still to this day, I've never fundraised for a church plant. Um, it's just, I, I didn't, I, I see guys going around going, we need $100,000 to do this. Now, if I did something like what Hugh Halter did in Alton, where he opened up a center, and I may actually open a training center for planners, a Bible training center in future, um, then I would definitely raise funds for that. I'm actually talking to a couple of people about it right now. But for new breed, man, like that was one thing to this topic. I have always, and, and my board, it's funny, I think about this a lot because as the years have gone on, there's been so much respect. Like my board treats me with respect. They, they tell me, hey, you need to think about your retirement. We need to set something up for your retirement or whatever. And I, over the years, I've never asked for a salary. What they do is they just pay my minister's housing allowance. So I don't get rich. So if someone drops a hundred grand on new breed, which, which happened, um, I don't go, Hey guys, time for a raise from it. I don't touch it. Right. Like it's not for me. People aren't giving that money for me. My housing allowance over the years has been pretty small. Um, I've been able to, to live wisely and live in a way where I don't, I don't make a ton of money. Um, but what I was going to say is we actually took a huge hit, um, this year, like 2020, the pandemic, like just our donors dropped off like crazy. I think we lost anywhere from, I, I think it's about 60% of our donors, which was a bit alarming because I only discovered it this week. And I was like, holy heck. So I don't go out there flogging and asking, but I've got to go into a time of fundraising right now. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Um, so if you're out there and you have a big budget, <laughs> let me say this. No, but honestly, if you want to pour hey, in the church mission, planner, if your church needs a, another place to support. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and that's one thing I would say uh, for church planners, I would say from day one, make sure you're given a mission. Don't well, be here's an interesting plan. question that uh, Craig Nelson brought up. I don't know if you saw it on the Facebook post. Yeah. Should pastors be tithing back into the church that pays their salary? Yes and no. They should be tithing. It doesn't always, you know, that's a great question because one of the things that um, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for in Matthews at 23, he says, you know, woe to you for you give to the, to the, you know, the, is it the, was it called the Coban, the little box there? And you say, I give, you know, um, but what Jesus was saying is that you say I already gave to the Coban. Well, that was to their own paycheck. And so you, you raise a really good question. I personally tithe, uh, and always have when I, when I'm at a church plant, I don't tithe a hundred percent of my church or my tithe to that church for that reason. So I give out to various ministries. So my tithe will go to different places. And in fact, it's funny because I attend a church right now where I had to tell them, Hey, I'm going to give to you, but please understand I do tithe. 
but my tithe goes to various other ministries that I've either served in in the past. <laughs> like I don't give to Newbreed myself because, but should I give something to the church I, I support? Yes. And I've also thought maybe I should give to Newbreed, but again, um, I, I do think you should give something, but I think you should make it clear because again, that's a bad look too. If you're expecting other people to give at a certain standard that you yourself are not willing to do. Right. See, I would so that's, say that's a really good question. I think that's the bigger thing. Cause I, I know I've said this before on the podcast. I think sometimes you need to set the example because otherwise what it looks like to the congregation, we give to you, not right. to God, not to the church. We're giving to you and you're just sitting there collecting it all. Thank you so much. I can go about my life. And it, that to me is a bad visual as well. But if you're giving of how 10%, it looks, if you're, well, that's the thing. Think of it. This is why I, I drew the line with donors because if I work hard because I know, so like through the word is a, is a donor supported ministry. I work my butt off for that thing. Like I work hard for it. And like recently we had a conversation about project pay and I just said, I don't want any project pay. You know, I, I make what I make and I'm happy with that. And I'll give everything I have to the ministry during my set hours. You'll get all of me and I don't because they take good care of us and they say, Hey, if you need, uh, for this, you know, and I just said, I don't care if I go over my quota, don't pay me any extra project pay. If I go over my contract, that's cool, you know, just have it. But like the thing is, is that when, when it goes to, um, uh, shoot, I don't know where my brain's going, Pete. I think I need to eat more food. You just brought up a point, um, that, oh, so if I'm living off donations and you, are sacrificing 10% of your income. Just work this out with me. And a hundred other people are sacrificing 10% of their income. And I watch this one guy, while everyone else is sacrificing, this one dude's getting richer and richer and richer and richer. Pretty soon, he's not sacrificing. He's not leading by example anymore. He's not sacrificing. He's just getting richer and richer and richer. And that's what I think the preachers and sneakers is bringing up is, whoa, 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 wait a second. You're living off the sacrifices of others. And you're living a lifestyle none of them could afford. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I, I do have a problem with that. Um, I'll, I'll be the first to say, uh, I think that's a bad look. Right. <laughs> But I can't, you know, when people say, well, where's the line? You know, there's a couple of things here. And I know you got to go in like two minutes, but there's a couple of things here. Number one, you need a group of people around you that will tell you no. Right. If you're not accountable to a group of people that aren't afraid of you, then you've got the wrong people around you. You need people that are, are willing to look at you and say, I love you. And because I love you and I want this ministry to do well and succeed, I got to say no on this. You can't do that. Or when, you know, you, 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 hey, I think we should have this salary and anyone who dissents against us is in the, like, there's so many chronicles of abuses when it comes to money. Um, again, if the rule of thumb was, you know, you, you made about what your people made, the average income of your church, um, and you were comfortable and you could pay all your bills, debt, you know, personal bad financial decisions and debts. Like the ministry is not there to solve your bad financial decisions. Let's get that really clear right now. Um, 
It's not there to solve your problems. You've got to solve your own problems like everyone else in this world. Um, but if you if you made bad financial decisions, that doesn't factor in, right? You just make what your average congregant makes. And that's good. And if they if the board wants to top it up a bit and say, hey, we want to give you a little extra because you're going to be dealing with child deaths and like almost like a danger pay, we'll give you a little extra, um, maybe even raise it up 10% what the average person makes here just because you're going to be dealing with everybody's junk all the time. Um, fine. And giving you vacations and soul care packages and things, fantastic. You know, that's rad. Like they should take care of you because you're going to take a beating in that role. But you should not be getting rich off other people's donations. Right. So anyways, that said, my heroes are guys like uh, there, there's a church that I interviewed for Exponential where all their team decided we're going to go Bible so we can um, really support mission. And the whole staff came off staff and went and worked with their hands and became a Bible team. Stuff like that you hear about and you're like, that's rad. Right. So I think the system opens itself up to problems and abuse. And uh, Pete, while you're doing all that bivocational working, you don't I have time. I was so wanting to do the lead in and you beat me to it. Gosh, dang it. I don't give you a chance to talk, man. That's a, that's a problem. Yeah. Well, you know, Pete, while you're doing all that bivocational working so you can buy those $10,000 sneakers, um, you need someone to do all your church's financial uh, stuff. Well, I want to be clear here. Um, I don't care about footwear. Uh, for me, it would be $10,000 in guns and ammo. Nice. <laughs> so I need a, a great little company called SimplifyChurch.com to take care of all my accounting needs. Who's that, Pete? Well, it's SimplifyChurch.com. There's a guy by the name of Josh Henry, former church planner, pastor, and that's his whole ministry now is he helps churches with their finances. SimplifiedChurch.com, and it reminded me your statement of Mark Driscoll, who said, headed a chapter, uh, Lord, there was $11.23 in the offering this week, and all I want to do with it is buy bullets. <laughs> so that, that's, uh, that was a great uh, chapter title. But real quick, um, as we exit, um, Simplified Church, man, that was how I knew that the donors are up off. They got this rad portal where you can go on, and because I was like, man, our our deposits are pretty low the last couple months. So uh, I looked it up and I was like, wow, I could track everything on there. And I was, I was pretty, uh, I'd never have. So <laughs> it tells you I have a, I have a treasure, you know, these, but I want to see stuff. So they showed me stuff and I was horrified. So uh, that's newbreednetwork.org forward slash give. <laughs> Sorry. I'm amusing myself here, but really, really go over there. All right. So, uh, hey, this has been Peyton Jones and Pete Mitchell reminding you, if you want to reach the ones nobody's reaching, go get a job, punk, and do what nobody else is doing. And we'll Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Magazine.com.